My name is Rick Hammack, and locating abandoned wells is important because they're a hazard to uh, human health, and they're also an environmental hazard. And not only that, they represent an impediment to current land use and future land use. Welcome to SEG's Seismic Sound Off, conversations with geoscientists addressing the challenges of energy, water, and climate. I'm your host, Andrew Gary. In this episode, Richard Hammack discusses the December special section in the leading edge, orphaned and abandoned wells. When we think about the environmental challenges we face, orphaned and abandoned wells might not be the first thing that comes to mind. However, as this episode reveals, the issue is far more widespread and impactful than many realize. Richard expertly navigates us through the subtle yet critical distinctions between orphaned and abandoned wells. Listeners will be taken to the historical oil fields of Pennsylvania, where wooden cases from the Civil War era elude magnetic detection, and to the vast terrains of Wyoming, where the quest to find these environmental hazards is equally urgent. The episode offers a fascinating exploration of innovative detection methods from airborne magnetic sensors to the precision of drone technology, revealing how over 90% of steel-cased wells can be located. Please check out the show notes to find all the references from this conversation. And now, my conversation with Richard Hammack. Yeah, so December is the leading edge focuses on orphaned and abandoned wells. And this was one of the more interesting special sections I've I've read in a while. It it is I think it has a wider issue than one would think when you just first start thinking about this issue. But let's kind of start with the basics here. What are the definitions and differences between an orphaned and an abandoned well? Let's start with abandoned well, because that's kind of the larger population. And you're going to get a different answer depending on who you talk to. Uh, in general, a abandoned well is a, is a well that's not producing, but that can be a variety of things. You know, they can they can shut in a well temporarily for maintenance, or they can shut it in. You know, during time if it's a marginal well, they may shut it in during times when the oil and gas prices are low, and just wait for you know the prices to come back up, which they do. And then turn it back on. So is that an abandoned well? I don't know. It's you know it's a temporarily abandoned well. So it's kind of a it's kind of a broad thing for me. An abandoned well is a well that the operator has not walked away from, but they're no longer doing maintenance on it. Now, orphan well is a is a, is a different thing. An orphan well is a well that you can't locate a responsible party. Uh, now that could be a very old well where there's you can't ascertain who who drilled that well or, you know, if any, and it's been years ago, so you don't even know if the company still exists. Different people are going to have different ideas about it. So for someone to understand, what are some of the issues, some of the dangers of these orphaned and abandoned wells that pose to the environment and people that is important to get to the bottom of understanding these wells and addressing it? Well, if the wells are unplugged, they provide a, a rapid conduit for gases and liquids from the subsurface to, to come to the surface. Now, that can be, well, gases, you, you think mostly about, you know, natural gas, methane, 
VTEX compounds can come to the surface. Radon, CO2 in some cases, carbon dioxide can come to the surface. But there's also areas where brine can uh, can move upwards too. And then it, where if it comes up and the casing is not really good, it can contaminate the uh, brine infiltration of uh, drinking water. So you you mentioned you're in Pennsylvania and you and your co-authors in the paper that you published for this special section looked at wells in Pennsylvania and Wyoming. How did you initially set out to find these the abandoned and orphaned wells in those two states? Well, we started in Wyoming and we were doing a large oil field there. It was like 40 square miles, so it was very, very big. And the our industry a collaborator there needed to find wells quickly. So we knew we had to look for an airborne technique to just cover the, the land and the amount of time that was available to us. So the first thing we thought was we would use magnetic sensors to uh, pick up the signal from the, the vertical steel well casing of these wells, and, that's, and that worked very well. But we also tried other things out there, uh, at least initially, that helicopter flight also had a methane sensor on board. It was a, a differential absorption LIDAR uh, methane sensor. And the idea was that we would pick up evidence of a leaking well by looking for methane. And it was an active well field. So, yeah, we found, uh, we found methane uh, anomalies at virtually every, you know, operating well. And then the third thing we tried there, and this was the idea here was that oil and gas production contains uh, nor naturally occurring uh, radioactive materials. That's what it stands for. And the idea was we put a, a gamma ray sensor on the helicopter, and we were thinking that this lower temp tends to accumulate in the uh, sediment that comes up with the the brine you're producing oil you produce brine and that sediment and then on the tank bottoms and so forth you tend to get uh, a gypsum deposit and the norm tends to accumulate in that uh, that gypsum which would be a source of uh, gamma rays that was our idea it didn't tend to work work out in the one area where we tried it so we didn't use it any further what did you set out to do in Pennsylvania? Something pretty similar? Were you using airborne method there as well? In in Pennsylvania, we used we used a helicopter with the magnetic sensors, like like Wyoming, and also with uh, methane sensors on board. Uh, the difference in the methane sensors were these were sensors that would detect methane if you when you flew through the plume. So a variety of those. Uh, two different types of uh, methane sensors were on board on the on the Pennsylvania surveys, and like I said before, we didn't do the radiometric survey in Pennsylvania. Now you mentioned Pennsylvania is one of the the first states where oil and gas exploration was happening much sooner than Wyoming, so the wells there are older, which kind of led to some challenging ways to use a magnetic method. What did you find was a, a better method to locate wells in a state like Pennsylvania? Well, they, the magnetic method is, is still the best method. There are areas where it doesn't work, like in, the, in Oil Creek State Park in Pennsylvania, where the oldest oil wells of the world are. Those wells, a lot of the very early wells there had wooden casing because they were drilled I think because they were drilled during the Civil War, and uh, I'm guessing there there wasn't much steel uh, available for 
for that purpose. Obviously, wood is not magnetic. And when we flew those areas with the, you know, the helicopter magnetic survey, we found we did not find these wells, which was puzzling to us because we had photographs from that era that showed a hillside with, you know, 13 wells on it. And when we flew a magnetic survey over that same hillside, we may have found two or three wells. So we knew we had a problem. And that's when we got permission to go out there and excavate some of these sites. And uh, we found out that they had wooden casing. So the reason that LIDAR works in these areas is that the wooden casing, these casings are maybe 150 years old now, some of them. And in that amount of time, the wood has rotted. And when the wood rots, the, wood, the casing rots, the soil falls into the well. And it creates a subsidence, a circular subsidence feature that... Uh, that's picked up easily by by lidar. Well, especially high resolution lidar. Maybe not not so much the uh, the high altitude lidar that's typically flown by states. But if you put a lidar on a on a drone, for example, or do high resolution lidar, yes, you can pick these up easily. So you mentioned you had this photograph of the thirteen wells. You found two or three, so you knew something was off. What was the success rate in Wyoming and Pennsylvania of, of locating the wells using the methods that you used? Both in Wyoming and Pennsylvania, the magnetic method, I think you can say with some certainty that it will locate more than ninety percent of the existing wells. That is, if they have steel casing. The two problems that we have are that the the wooden casing that we talked about before, and also there were metal salvage efforts during the, the uh, World War II, especially, where a lot of the casing was pulled from wells, just leaving nothing but an open hole. And those wells are especially hard to find. Are there any, you mentioned drones, you know, as part of, of this survey. Are there are there current limitations around utilizing more of these uncrewed aircraft to locate wells? No, we've, we've actually done a comparison. We've had an area that uh, we flew with the helicopter magnetic survey, and then we went back and, and uh, reflew a part of that area using a drone magnetic survey. And the results are almost identical. Uh, if anything, maybe the drone survey is slightly better. So I don't I don't have any qualms about saying that that you can you can do a drone survey wherever you can do a helicopter survey and perhaps others. The the problem with the the drone surveys is the uh, the uh, visual line of sight limitation for the area. So you can only do you can only do small areas at a time. And then in the east, while well, perhaps other parts of the country where you have where the much of the land is forested, uh, your visual line of sight isn't that isn't that far, because you can have you know hillsides that are in the way, you can have high trees that are in the way. Luckily, the the technology is advancing, and and uh, drone operators now getting variances for beyond the line of sight flight. So some of that's going away. Uh, typically, we would say that you know if you wanted to. Uh, to locate wells in a very large area, go with the with a helicopter magnetic survey, just because they can fly faster, they can fly longer lines, whereas the drone survey is broken up into small areas that are visual line of sight. 
But if you have a small area, the drone is certainly the way to go. And I think going forth into the future, they're going to be doing, you're going to be able to do larger and larger areas with uh, drone magnetic surveys. Yeah, I'm sure that's pretty exciting in this area and I'm sure other areas as well. And this particular work that you were showcasing in your paper took place before the bipartisan infrastructure law was passed in the United States in 2021. Do you see that law impacting the future work on orphaned and abandoned wells? Yeah, I think I think for certain it will because I know states generally have a program to, you know, define and, and plug problem wells, but it's it's typically not funded as much as they would like. Uh, so that the bill funding will bring extra funding to that and allow them to plug more wells. And it's got, I think another thing that it does is it kind of unif- gives a uniform approach across the country. Each state was pretty much doing their own, their own thing. And to some extent, that's the right thing to do because everybody's problems are, are, are unique. But I don't think that, uh, developments or learnings were shared between states as much as they will be after the uh, the bill-funded uh, project. That's a nice thing. I'm, I'm sure there is some overlap in how to address some of these issues. You know, there are four other papers in this special section. Did anything kind of catch your eye or surprise you about the work other of your colleagues are doing in this area? So some of the other papers were, were drone magnetic surveys. And I think that the drone magnetic surveys are, are the current state of the art right now. One paper was uh, they used the you know the magnetometer and the GPS and a cell phone to do the survey. And there's kind of unique aspects about that. It it's certainly not the first study that's that's done that. Probably one of the better ones though, I would say. But the one that was most interesting to me was the one that used a control source EM to. Uh, investigate the integrity of well casing. I can't pretend that I understand what they did there, but certainly that's, that is uh, an area of study that's really, really needs more development. And there's, there is a, a need for that right now. Because if you, can, if you can evaluate the integrity of a well without having to re-enter the well, because you re-enter the well, that's, there's a big environmental uh, footprint to do that, but not so much if you can do it with a control source EM uh, survey. What's the question nobody is asking regarding orphaned and abandoned wells? Well, the question that comes to my mind, everybody's thinking about plugging as many wells as possible to, to prevent methane and greenhouse gas emission. But the, the problem is, as I mentioned before, if you plug the well, there's an environmental footprint to plugging that well. I think what people should be asking is, is the environmental footprint of the plugging operation more or less than the environmental footprint of that well if left alone? And what, how much, how much leakage, where is it, you know, how much leakage, what is the number of methane leakage coming from that well that determines whether you plug it or whether it's better to leave it alone. What challenge would you like to leave the listener on this particular issue on orphaned and abandoned wells? Well, I think, I think the grand challenge for, for, let's say, for locating abandoned wells 
are these wells where the casing has been pulled? One, they're almost impossible to find. The only time that uh, that these wells are found is if they're doing some excavation or something. Like we we were allowed to see one of these uh, wells where when a, a gas company was building a, a a drill pad, and they happened to come across across one of these, and they let us come on site and do magnetic surveys and uh and we did like a frequency domain em survey across across the well and but there's very slight magnetic anomalies and there's a very slight conductive anomaly over these wells where the casing has been even without the casing and i'm kind of scratching my head trying to figure it up trying to explain why it's even there but you can't see that there's rust particles that were left when they left behind when they pulled the casing out, there was still some particles of rust that have flaked off and probably have some, there's probably still some steel inlays in those particles. So I'm guessing that that's uh, the, you know, the source of the, the magnetic and conductive anomaly. But in both cases, the, the signals are too weak. And certainly if it hadn't been such a quiet environment on this drill pad where they just removed everything else except for the well, I, I don't think you would be able to pick the well out. So that's a problem. And uh, right now, I don't have any good answer on how to find it. Obviously, if you if you were doing a GPR survey and you happen to run across that open hole, yeah, that would that might see it. But what's the chances of doing a survey and, and going directly across it? You, you know, the surveys, we the magnetic surveys, we do the the flight lines are typically 30 meters apart. So even at 30 meters apart, your chance of uh, going across the well is pretty, pretty remote. Kind of lastly on, on the technical st- stuff. So it, let, let's just say you, you found the well and, and there is an agreement that it, it needs to be addressed. Is there common acceptance of how to best fix that well, like, you know, get it safe? Or is that also, depending on the well and not quite certain yet, the best way to uh, to mitigate these wells once they're found? Each state agency has their own protocol uh, for how to plug the wells, and they that will vary from state to state. I know here at uh, NETL, National Energy Technology Laboratory, we are doing research right now to try to uh, to improve these these plugging methods, maybe by better cement formulations or, or more cement and less bentonite. So I can't, I, that's not my area of research, so I can't really speak to it, but I know that the research is being done. And lastly here, if you had to describe your journey in one word, what would it be and why? I guess evolution comes to mind. As new technology is developed, we look at it and evaluate it for for this purpose of locating wells. Certainly when we started doing uh, airborne surveys for well location, GPS was in its infancy right then. But that was a major that was a major development that that really advanced the uh, the ability of uh, aeromagnetic surveys for well location. And certainly the development of uh the really rapid development of drone technology has taken off, uh, and that was that was one thing. And then, and then about the same time as the drone technology was rapidly developing, some uh, 
very small magnetic sensors, atomic magnetic sensors were being developed. So, so now we had drones, and then at the same time, we have small, uh, lightweight uh, magnetic sensors, you know, with a low power consumption, very sensitive, just as sensitive as the bigger ones. So at the same time, it's, it's kind of neat, the two came along at the same time, and that's what uh, has promoted uh, drone well-finding as much as uh, as it has taken. It, it's really advanced right now, and there's so many operators out there doing it and offering it as a service. So, yeah, that's what I like to see. Is there anything I should have asked that I did not? How about a question about, uh, you, like, in transitioning from helicopter magnetic surveys to drone magnetic surveys the helicopter magnetic surveys had compensation for the magnetic effect of the helicopter and its maneuvering mostly today the people doing drone magnetic surveys do not have compensation for the drone granted the drone is a much smaller magnetic source than the helicopter but it is a lot closer to the magnetic sensor than the the well on the ground so I think probably the question would be what could be done to compensate the, the magnetic data collected by, from a drone magnetic survey for the maneuvering of the, uh, the aircraft itself. We're working on that, and I, I imagine that others are, are working on that too. Yeah, this particular field seems like it is just rife with a lot of technological advances and as well as scientific advances that could really change how you address this issue. So I appreciate you highlighting some of the work being done now, Rick, and your work that you're doing and excited. Maybe we'll, we'll be back next year and the years to come to, to get an update on this. Well, thanks for the opportunity to talk about it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Seismic Sound Off. SCG creates these episodes to celebrate and inspire the geophysicists of today and tomorrow. Visit scg.org to learn more. Email the show at podcast at scg.org. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by me, Andrew Gary, at TreasureMet. The SCG podcast team is Jennifer Cobb, Kathy Gamble, and Ali McGinnis. The podcast will return next week with a new episode. Until then, this is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.